0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Well, we're moving on.
2: Go <clears throat> episode 461 of the Algaldi podcast. It is Monday, December 12th, 2022. And what is this? This is one of the greatest songs ever. A most fitting song to begin this installment of the podcast. Somebody dance with me.
1: As long as we live, it's you and me.
2: Ah, yes, the theme song from the classic television show, The Jeffersons. And I'm not talking about Roy Jefferson. At least I don't think so. Moving on up. The Commanders on Sunday were, wait for it, moving on up the NFC playoff standings and without even playing a game. How beautiful was that? Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Goldie podcast. The Commanders on Sunday went from being out of the playoff picture to having the NFC's second wildcard spot. Not bad for your bye week. Uh, The Commanders now are the number six seed in the NFC, thanks to losses for the New York Giants and the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday. Next segment, I will conduct a thorough deep dive on what went down in the commander's bye week from a commander's playoff perspective and on what remains for the commanders and their primary contenders over the final four weeks of the 2022 NFL regular season. The stretch run has arrived. My friends, we are neck deep in playoff contention analysis and scenarios right now. Although right now, nothing matters more than this Sunday night. The game of the Commander's season, for now anyway, uh, 7-5-1 Commanders versus the 7-5-1 Giants at FedEx Field on Sunday Night Football at 820. Also on the show, how about Navy stunningly firing its head football coach, Ken Niamatololo. Announcement, on Sunday afternoon, the end of an era, he had been the midshipman's head coach since December 2007. I will react to the firing of Coach Ken, as well as Navy's wild 2017 double overtime loss to Army at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia on Saturday. I will discuss USC quarterback and Gonzaga College High School product Caleb Williams winning the Heisman Trophy on Saturday night, becoming the first player from the Washington, D.C. area ever to win the Heisman. Uh, Speaking of winning, I will pay proper homage to the Capitals, who now have won four consecutive games. That is a season-best winning streak for the CAPS Caps, caps, caps. Uh, two wins over the weekend. Friday night, a 4-1 win over the Seattle Kraken at Capitol Win Arena. Sunday night, a 5-2 win at the Winnipeg Jets. I'll talk college basketball. Number 13, Maryland and Virginia Tech played at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York on Sunday as part of the Basketball Hall of Fame Invitational. The Terrapins lost to number 7, Tennessee, 56-53, trailed by 21 in the first half, but rallied big time in the second half. Although... The Terps ultimately came up short. The Hokies won. Uh, they beat Oklahoma State 70-65. Uh, also, Georgetown another loss, uh, 83-64 at Syracuse on Saturday afternoon. I'll get into our free-falling Wizards. Uh, six consecutive losses now. Nine losses in ten games now. Friday night a 121-111 loss at the Indiana Pacers. Saturday night a 114-107 loss to the Los Angeles Clippers at Capital One Arena. And I have have a national segment for you off the Nats on Saturday night officially announcing having agreed with free agent pitcher Trevor Williams on a two-year contract. You can tweet me at Algaldi. You can email me, the Algaldi Podcast at Yahoo.com. Email from Rob. On Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder and off the big topic from Friday's show, episode 460. Uh, That topic being the final report from Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform on its investigation into Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. A report that was 79 pages long writes Rob, hey Al, have you (laughs) have you finished War and Peace? Uh, Here is Dan's downfall his product has diminished for 20 years. The revenues have steadily declined. Dan now is in a cash flow bind. The NFL bailed him out for two reasons, because his partners were defaming him and it was not a good look for the NFL, and because giving him 100% control would make it easier to sell the team. The NFL knew that he wouldn't be able to pay back the loan. Thank you for the email, Rob. And yes, this is a theory That is out there, and the theory to me does make sense. Uh, So Dan Snyder ultimately bought out his three disgruntled minority partners, Dwight Schar, Robert Rothman, and Fred Smith, in a transaction that was officially completed on April 2nd, 2021. Dan bought out Schar, Rothman, and Smith at a reported $875 million with a reported $450 million debt waiver for which the NFL's Finance Committee made a special exemption. Per a report from the Washington Post on November 17th, Dan has to repay that loan by 2028, and the belief is that he can't do that without selling at least a portion of the Commanders, but the problem, or at least an expected problem, is that nobody wants to buy just a portion of the Commanders. And you think about that. I mean, no massive ego having multi-billionaire Richie Rich wants to be Dan's minority partner, especially after what happened with Char, Rothman and Smith. There was a major falling out there. So the belief is that Dan essentially has to sell the entire team either right away or say via selling a minority share of the team to someone who then is guaranteed an option to buy the entire team at some point. Uh, We shall see. Email from Joe involving some names from Washington football past and present. Uh, Writes Joe, I'm a loyal listener since your team 980 days. Congratulations on surpassing your 460th podcast. Keep up the excellent work. Thank you, Joe. Continues Joe. I'm sick of this Brittany Griner stuff. I think that we should have included Dan Snyder, Bruce Allen, Vinny Serrato, Jason Wright, Albert Hainsworth, and Stephen A. Smith in the prisoner swap. What say you, Al? Uh, Well, thank you for the email, Joe. Yeah, I mean, did our president, Joe Biden, at any point in the negotiations with Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, say, hey, Vladdy, you know, instead of us sending you this uh, Russian arms dealer known as the merchant of death, how about we send you more prisoners? Okay, can we do that? Like, could we say send you Dan and Bruce and Vinny? You know, is that possible? Uh, I'm guessing probably not. Well something that isn't just possible but is certified is that if you have a case, uh, you should contact Paulson and NACE. Founded in 1979, Paulson and NACE is a Washington DC-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington DC and West Virginia. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, this past July, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1 Point eight million dollars. This to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, You may have read about this. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government at one. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace if you feel that you've been wronged. If you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, Call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit Paulsonandnace.com. That's Paulsonandnace.com. Don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent ya. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace Take care of your family. Well, please consider rating and reviewing the Al Galdi podcast if you haven't yet done those things. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated, and you on Apple Podcasts can write a brief review saying that you like the podcast, the ratings, and the reviews help us out a lot, and I thank you for doing them. Well, there's not much better in life than making gains while doing nothing. And the Commanders have just done that. Uh, The Commanders in their bye week in this 2022 season advanced two spots in the NFC standings. Uh, Not bad. The Commanders week 14 bye. It was the franchise's latest bye since the beginning of the bye week in the NFL. The first NFL season in which we had bye weeks was the 1990 season. The Commanders in this 2022 season had this week 14 bye. And this week, 14 buy will go down as a, wait for it, goodbye. Get it? Yes. Ha ha ha. We are all laughing on this Monday because the two results that you most wanted as a Commanders fan in week 14 you got. I mean, there were a variety of results in week 14 that you wanted for the 7-5 and 1 Commanders playoff push, but the two results that you most wanted were the New York Giants and the Seattle Seahawks losing, and sure enough, both of those results happened. Uh the Giants fell to 7-5-1 with a 48-22 home loss. To the Philadelphia Eagles, who improved to an NFL leading 12-1 and and looked sensational. The Giants got demolished in this game. Uh, The Eagles became the first NFL team to clinch a playoff spot this season. And the Seahawks fell to 7-6 with a 30-24 home loss to the Carolina Panthers, who improved to 5-8. So both the Giants, and the Seahawks lost at home. Eagles and Panthers, a salute to you. For your service, Uh, the Commanders came into Week 14 as the number eight team in the NFC. Uh, Seven teams in the NFC will make the playoffs. The Commanders now are the number six seed in the NFC and are in possession of the conference's second wild card spot. The Commanders went from number eight in the conference to number six in the conference with what went down on Sunday. The Commanders at seven five and one win a tiebreaker with the now seven five and one Giants based on best winning percentage. In division games. So the Giants are the number seven seed in the NFC, and the Seahawks, at seven and six now, are the number eight team in the NFC and are on the outside looking in regarding the playoff picture. Now, also on Sunday afternoon, was the Detroit Lions improving to six and seven with a 34 23 win over the Minnesota Vikings? And that was unfortunate because the Lions now are lurking and they have the head to head tiebreaker on the Commanders, given that the Commanders lost at the Lions in week two. As things stand right now, the Commanders, Giants, Seahawks, and Lions are vying. For the NFC's last two wild card spots. There's not much of a point in discussing the NFC's top wild card spot. That is the Dallas Cowboys to lose, although the Cowboys nearly did lose on Sunday afternoon. Uh, they improved to 10 3 with a 27 23 win over the Houston Texans. Dallas for. <laughs> for this game was a 17-point favorite for multiple shops, and yet the Cowboys trailed. Entering the fourth quarter, 23-17, needed a two-yard touchdown run by running back Ezekiel Elliott with 41 seconds left in the fourth quarter to win the game. Understand the Texans, who are terrible, were without their top two receivers in Brandon Cooks, and Nico Collins due to injury, and yet still, the Cowboys nearly lost this game. Also, the Texans in this game used two quarterbacks on purpose, uh, Davis Mills the third, and Jeff Driscoll. So, for those of you who have suggested that the Commanders use both Taylor Heineke and Carson Wentz, uh, well, I guess you now have the Texans uh, as supporting evidence. But anyway, the Cowboys did win, so they're 10-3, and barring a complete collapse, they're going to get the NFC's top wildcard spot. So the Commanders, Giants, Seahawks, and Lions are vying for the NFC's last two wildcard spots. But the Commanders, as of right now, lead the pack. Uh, They have possession of the NFC's second wildcard spot. Uh, The Commanders, as the saying goes, control their own destiny. And if they win their final four regular season games, the Commanders will make the playoffs. That's guaranteed at this point. Uh, if the Commanders over their final four regular season games go 3-1, and one, uh, that will almost certainly be good enough for them to make the playoffs. Heck, 2-2 two and two might be good enough, although uh, I would prefer for that not to be put to the test. But if you go by the data on 538.com, the Commanders have a 72% chance. Of making the playoffs. The Seahawks have a 55% chance of making the playoffs. The Giants have a 44% chance of making the playoffs. And the Lions have a 22% chance of making the playoffs. So the Commanders are prohibitive favorites here to make the postseason. Uh, Here is each team's remaining regular season schedule. Commanders, home to the New York Giants, at the San Francisco 49ers, home to the Cleveland Browns, home to the Dallas Cowboys. Giants, at the Commanders, at the Minnesota Vikings, home to the Indianapolis Colts, and at the Philadelphia Eagles. Seahawks, home to the San Francisco 49ers, and that game is this Thursday night, by the way, at the Kansas City Chiefs, home to the New York Jets, home to the Los Angeles Rams, and the Lions, at the New York Jets, at the Carolina Panthers, home to the Chicago Bears and at the Green Bay Packers. So the Commanders and the Seahawks, each team has three of its four remaining regular season games at home. The Giants and the Lions, each team has three of its four remaining regular season games on the road, it's impossible to know right now which teams will be invested in Week 18 and playing starters/slash key players in Week 18, and actually trying to win in Week 18. But this is part of why I'm actually not mad that the Cowboys ended up beating the Texans on Sunday afternoon. I mean, yeah, the Cowboys losing at home to the Texans as 17 point favorites would have been hilarious, okay? But probably would not have changed the inevitability of the Cowboys winning a wild card spot and potentially could have made their Week 18 game at the Commanders meaningful to the Cowboys. What in theory would be best for the Commanders would be the Cowboys in Week 18 having nothing to play for and thus resting their starters slash key players in the game at the Commanders. Although remember, the Commanders did lose to the Cowboys' backup quarterback, Cooper Rush, in Week 4. Uh, also, keep in mind that the Giants' Week 18 game is at the Eagles, who very likely will have nothing to play for. Uh, what has become especially interesting is the Commanders' game at the San Francisco 49ers in Week 16. Uh, This is a game on Christmas Eve afternoon. The game is on Saturday afternoon, December 24th at 4.05. The 49ers improved to 9-4 with a 35-7 blowout of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday. Uh, This despite the Niners' starting quarterback being Brock Purdy, uh, who they took with the very last pick in the 2022 NFL draft. He is the Mister Irrelevant of the 2022 draft. A 2022 seventh round pick out of Iowa State. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo suffered a season-ending foot injury in the Niners' 33-17 win over the Miami Dolphins in Week 13. The man who Garoppolo replaced, Trey Lance, uh, he is done for the season due to an ankle injury that he suffered in September. But Brock Purdy looks—wait for it—Purdy good. Uh, Yes. Purdy in this blowout of the Bucks on Sunday, 16 to 21 for 185 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. Andy took no sacks. And how about this? So he, of course, was facing off with the Bucks starting quarterback, Tom Brady. Brock Purdy became the first quarterback in NFL history to, in his first career regular season, start beat the great Tom Brady. Coming into Sunday, the average margin of defeat for the seven quarterbacks who had faced Tom Brady in their first career regular season starts was 15.6 points. The Niners ended up winning this game by 28 points. I mean, the Niners smashed the Bucks. Uh, running back Christian McCaffrey was tremendous, 14 carries. For 119 yards and a touchdown, and two receptions for 34 yards and a touchdown on three targets. Uh, now, also in this game was receiver Debo Samuel being carted off the field, although he appears to have avoided season ending injury. The injury is to his left ankle as opposed to his left knee. But the Niners are rolling right now, even with this third string quarterback in Brock Purdy. The Commanders, remember, too, are going to have a brutal turnaround in playing this home game against the Giants this Sunday night, and then having to fly across the country to play at the 49ers the following Saturday afternoon. I mean, this is going to be a quadruple whammy, a game against a really good team in the Niners across the country on a short week off a primetime game. I mean, think about those four things. Really good opponent on the road across the country on a short week off a primetime game. Like it's not just Sunday afternoon to Saturday afternoon. It's Sunday night to Saturday afternoon. This is like the grand slam of difficulty uh, in terms of scheduling. But as good as Sunday ended up being for the commanders, nothing on Sunday changed the following. They need to win this game against the Giants this Sunday night. 7-5-1 commanders versus the 7-5-1 Giants at FedEx Field on Sunday Night Football at 8.20. A monster game for each team because the game is essentially worth two games to each team. Assuming that there is no tie, uh, the team that wins this game will be ahead of the team that loses and will have the head-to-head tiebreaker over the team that loses. Uh, Commander's Giants at FedEx Field this Sunday night. This is one of the biggest December games at FedEx Field ever. And I know that that's not necessarily saying a ton because we haven't exactly been inundated with monster games at FedEx Field in December's past, but this is a huge game. This is going to feel like a playoff game and this in some ways is a playoff game. But it's comforting to know that the Commanders are 6-1 and 1 over their last 8 games whereas the Giants now are just 1-4 and 1 since a 6-1 starred, and it's comforting to know that the commanders are in the driver's seat in this four-way dance with the Giants, Seahawks, and Lions. Up next, I'm talking college football, including the very surprising news on Sunday afternoon, Navy firing head coach Kenny Amatololo after 15-plus seasons. Well, let's talk college football. Uh, Saturday was quite the day for college football as it relates to the Washington, D.C. area. We had the first ever overtime game between Navy and Army. And we, for the first time ever, had a player from the D.C. area winning the Heisman Trophy. And then on Sunday, we had the departure of Navy's longtime head coach, Ken Niamatololo. So Navy on Saturday concluded a four-and-eight season with a 2017 double overtime loss to Army at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. And then Navy on Sunday afternoon announced that Ken Niamatololo was out as Navy head coach after 15 plus seasons. Uh, this really was a shocker. The announcement was made by Navy Director of Athletics, Chet Gladchuk. said Gladchuk in a statement, quote, our sincerest gratitude to Coach Ken for what has been a distinguished and impactful legacy at the Naval Academy. Navy football flourished for many years under his leadership. He will forever be remembered for the influence he has had on the lives of those who played for him. We all have great respect and appreciation for his 25 years of service to the Academy. End quote. Uh, Also in the statement was the naming of defensive coordinator Brian Newberry as interim head coach. Kenny Amatololo was named Navy head coach in December 2007. I mean... Think about how long ago that was. December 2007. Joe Gibbs was the Redskins head coach in December 2007. Uh, Nehemiah Tololo, as Navy head coach, went 109 and 83. He is the winningest head coach in Navy football history, but Navy in its press release announcing Lolo's departure included the following, and this was telling, quote, the Mids have gone just 11-23 and 23 over the last three seasons and have had one winning season over the last five years. Navy is a combined 4-10 against the other two service academies over the last 70 years, end quote. Uh, Yeah, you put something like that in the press release, and you are making it quite clear while the guy is out as head coach. Uh, Kenny Amatololo was all class. He overall did a tremendous job as Navy head coach. It is true that the last few seasons have not gone so well, but it's also true that he, in continuing the standards set by his predecessor, Paul Johnson, raised the expectations For Navy football. Navy from 2003 through 2019 had 15 winning seasons in 17 years. That is an incredible achievement for a service academy in Navy. But yeah, Navy now has had three consecutive losing seasons, Uh, 2020, three and seven, 2021, four and eight, and now 2022, four and eight. Uh, As for Navy versus Army on Saturday, this was the 123rd all-time football game between Navy and Army, but this was the first game between the two academies that went to overtime. Uh, Overtime was instituted in college football beginning with the 1996 season. Uh, The midshipmen lost to the Black Knights for a fifth time in seven seasons. You know, Navy for a long time owned Army. Navy won 14 consecutive games against Army from 2002 through 2015, but since then, a much different story. Uh, Wild game for Navy fullback Anton Hall Jr. You talk about the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Hall had seven carries for 99 yards and a touchdown, which was a third quarter, first and 10, 77-yard under center handoff touchdown run, a tremendous play, obviously. But he, in the second overtime, had a lost fumble on a two-yard carry on a third and goal at the three. So the fumble happened at the Army won. Just a killer in the ensuing Army offensive drive resulted in kicker Quinn Boretzky's game winning 39 yard field goal. You can only imagine how Anton Hall Jr. must have felt after this game, given how much the game means to each school. Uh, here was Ken Niamatololo during his post game press conference on Saturday evening on Anton Hall Jr.
3: You know, I always speak the truth to our guys. You know what I mean? I always will. I mean, we gotta take care of the ball, and um, and just it's it's always always coached. You hold people accountable. You love them, but part of loving people, you have to hold them accountable. I mean, you you call it what it is. You know, we have to take care of the rock, and it's um, it's our number one thing every time we do it. And so, but I love the kid. Thought he practiced hard. I mean, it's it's you feel for him though. You feel for him so we just people are just hugging him because there's no words that can console anton right he's an awesome 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 kid and i, I just feel bad you know what i mean just for that point that for him you know just had to come to this and but like i said there's other plays i mean that's just the one at the end that we all see you know what i mean but there are other plays i mean he had that obviously that long run there was lightning and Obviously, the kid's super talented, but to put this loss on Anton is not what I'm saying either. I mean, that was that one play, there's a lot of other plays in the course of the game, so I mean, don't put this loss on Anton Hall.
2: No, absolutely not. Good stuff from Kenny Amatololo right there, and those comments take on added weight with him now being out as Navy head coach. But Kenny Matalolo was right. I mean, there was a lot more to Navy's loss to Army than just the loss fumble by Anton Hall Jr. Navy special teams, which were a problem for much of the season, had a major gaffe in this game as the Mids late in the second quarter had a punt that was blocked and then recovered in the end zone for a touchdown. Uh, The Mids lost this game despite their defense playing well. And this is part of why the defensive coordinator, Brian Newberry, is the interim head coach. This guy's done a nice job at Navy, Navy on Saturday held Army to just 153 total net yards of offense, uh, just 2.55 yards per play, and just four of seventeen on third downs. Also, Navy quarterback Xavier Arline uh, he had 28 carries for 102 yards and went one of one passing. For 25 yards and a touchdown. As yes, his lone pass attempt in the game resulted in a touchdown. A first and 10, 25 yard under center play action touchdown pass to slot back Mikkel Haywood, who was wide open on Navy's first offensive play of overtime. This Navy Army game on Saturday was something. Uh, also, Navy wore a very cool astronaut themed uniform. Did you check out the Navy Unis on Saturday? Uh, the uniform was in honor of the 54 United States Naval Academy graduates who have gone on to become astronauts, the most of any institution. But yeah, monster news for Navy on Sunday afternoon. Ken Niamatololo out as Navy head coach. Uh, meantime, Saturday night, USC quarterback Caleb Williams won the 88th Heisman Memorial Trophy. Uh, Caleb Williams, a product of Gonzaga College High School in Washington, D.C., is the first player from the D.C. area to win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, Now, Navy quarterback Roger Staubach won the Heisman Trophy for the 1963 season, but he's not from the D.C. area. He's from Ohio. You know, it's not like the D.C. area is some barren area in terms of high school football. Quite the contrary, right? Uh, This area is rich in quality high school football. A number of really good college football and NFL players have come from the area, but never before a Heisman Trophy winner until now. Uh, great to see Caleb Williams do this, win the Heisman. And I say that as someone who went to Georgetown Prep High School in Rockville, Maryland. We're not supposed to like Gonzaga guys, but uh, as MC Hammer said many years ago, <laughs> we're all in the same gang. Okay, I think he was talking about something else, but still, uh, I was rooting for Caleb Williams to win the Heisman, and he won. And in fact, Caleb on Saturday night spent a nice chunk of his acceptance speech on Gonzaga. Take a listen.
1: Thank you to my brotherhood at Gonzaga College High School. Coach Randy Travers. where you at, big dog? Stand up. Hey, hey! Hey, hey! You had, <laughs> you had the courage to start a ninth grader in the toughest high school conference in the country. The Gonzaga experience, both on and off the field, helped me to prepare me in more ways than you can imagine. Coach, you may not know this, but the Gonzaga mantra that you drilled into us, Men For Others, has helped inspire me to create the Caleb Karras Foundation, which is all about giving back. So thank you, Coach. Thank you, Gonzaga.
2: There you go. Uh, Caleb Williams spent his 2021 true freshman season playing for Oklahoma. He this past off season transferred to USC off Lincoln Riley, leaving his post as Oklahoma head coach to become USC head coach. And Caleb has had a monster 2022 sophomore season, 13 games 37 touchdown passes versus four interceptions, a yards per pass attempt of 9.1, and 10 rushing touchdowns. He finished the 2022 regular season number five among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR at 86.5 QBR is on a scale of 0 to 100. This is just his sophomore season, so he has another season to go before he's eligible to leave for the NFL draft. But how about this from former NFL executive Joe Banner? Uh, I've had Joe on this podcast multiple times. He on Saturday night tweeted, quote, Not a big believer in tanking, but Williams will be worth tanking for next year. Outstanding prospect. It's time for one of the great young quarterbacks to go to an NFC team, end quote. Uh, Boy, would Caleb Williams look nice in a commander's uniform, Uh, but them tanking next season probably isn't going to be happening and really shouldn't be happening if this season ends up being a playoff season for them. Well, somehow, someway, the Capitals have a season-best four-game winning streak. The team continues to be, like, bludgeoned by injury, but the Caps, somehow, someway, have won four consecutive games. Friday night, a 4-1 win over the Seattle Kraken at Capital One Arena, as the Caps, in playing their first home game in two weeks, notched the team's First, three-game winning streak of this 2022-2023 NHL regular season, and then Sunday night, a 5-2 win at the Winnipeg Jets. The Caps now are 14-12-4, and yeah, they continue to be slammed with injuries. Uh, two more defensemen are out, if you can believe that. Alexander Alexiev, who suffered an upper body injury in the win over the Kraken on Friday night. And Eric Gustafson, who apparently suffered an upper body injury at Sunday's morning skate. Yeah, even morning skates are not safe for Caps players right now. Uh, Now, defenseman Dimitri Orlov finally is back, so some good news there. Uh, He on Sunday night returned from a 16-game absence caused by a lower body injury that he suffered in the 3-2 loss to the Arizona Coyotes at Capital One Arena on November 5th. Orlov on Sunday night played for 21 minutes, 29 seconds, had two assists, but the Caps remain without so many players due to injury. Uh, Goaltender Darcy Kemper, defensemen Eric Gustafson, Martin Fehervari, and Alexander Alexiev, and forwards Nicholas Backstrom, Tom Wilson, Connor Brown, Carl Hagelin, and Beck Malenstein. But the Caps are winning, and a big reason why is goaltender Charlie Lindgren. He has been so good in place of Darcy Kemper. Uh, Lindgren, in the win over the Kraken on Friday night, stopped 25 of the 26 shots on goal that he faced. Uh, The Caps in that game did a nice job of minimizing the Kraken's high-danger shots on goal. Lindgren, for natural stat trick, faced just three high-danger shots on goal the entire game. He stopped all of them. Uh, the Caps on Friday night won the puck possession battle, including demolishing the Kraken in terms of high danger chances. The Caps per natural stat trick had 55-on-5 shot attempts to the Kraken's 43, including 16 16- five-on-five high-danger shot attempts to the Krakens, five. Kemp's finished with 38 shots on goal to the Krakens, 26. And then Lindgren in the win at the Jets on Sunday night stopped 29 of the 31 shots on goal that he faced. And he, in this game, did face a lot of high-danger shots on goal, but Lindgren was up to the task. Uh, he, per natural stat trick, stopped 13 of the 14 high-danger shots on goal. That he faced. This was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post game session with reporters on Sunday night on Charlie Lindgren.
0: He was fantastic tonight. There is, you know, they're still a good team. They're, they're a team that they're, they're high octane, they score a lot of goals. They're tops in the central division right now and they're capable. And so there's going to be stuff that comes our way. I just thought he. Settled everything down. He tied things up. He gave us face offs, and uh, you know, the pucks didn't bounce off of him. And did just a just really good job of taking care of the game. And, and, and uh, that's been the way, that's the way he's been now for the last three or four games. He's been rock solid for us.
2: Yes, he has been. Charlie Lindgren over his last four starts is 4 0 0 with a goals against average of 150 and a save percentage of 949. <laughs> not bad. And not so coincidentally, the Camps over their two games over the weekend went a perfect 5 of 5 on the penalty kill. Uh, how about winger Alex Ovechkin? He has become an empty net goal scoring machine. Ovechkin on Friday night had a third period, even strength, empty net goal, a secondary assist, a game high nine shots on goal, a game high. 13 total shot attempts and three hits. Also, Ovi finished number one on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick at 72.73. The Caps with Ovechkin on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game had 24 shot attempts versus allowing nine shot attempts. And then Ovechkin on Sunday night, a third period even strength empty net goal, giving him four Third-period even-strength empty net goals over the camp's Last three games. Ovechkin also had a game high nine total shot attempts. Uh, Ovi now has 797 career NHL regular season goals. He is within four goals of tying Gordy Howe for the second most regular season goals in NHL history at 801. And Ovi for the 2022 2023 regular season is tied for eighth in the NHL in goals at 17. Uh, The Caps power play is doing really well. Friday night, Caps went 1-4 on the power play. Sunday night, Caps went 1-2 on the power play. Senator Evgeny Kuznetsov had a second period power play goal. Uh, The Caps now have scored at least one power play goal in each of the team's last six games. Uh, Also on Sunday night, winger Marcus Johansson, a second period shorthanded goal on a penalty shot. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, this goal was the Caps' first penalty shot goal in a regular season game since December 8, 2013, and the goal was Johansson's first shorthanded goal in a regular season game since February 6, 2011. Uh, a lot is going well for the Caps right now, even with so much going wrong from an injury standpoint. Uh, next up for the Caps at the Chicago Blackhawks, Tuesday night at 9. And we move now to college basketball. We on Sunday had both number 13, Maryland, and Virginia Tech playing at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, This is part of the Basketball Hall of Fame Invitational. Number 13, Maryland, fell to 8 2 overall with a 56 53 loss to number 7, Tennessee. Uh, The Terrapins allowed Tennessee to begin the game on a 34 13 run, trailed by 17 points at the half at 34 17, but the Terps won the second half. 36-22, 36-22, and the Terps in the second half got within two points on multiple occasions. So the Terps very much battled after a terrible start. Uh, the Terps defended well. They held Tennessee to just 7-21 on threes and just 12-45 on twos. Also, Tennessee went just 11-21 of on free throws. But the Terps' offense was, uh, shall we say, not good. Uh, and the biggest problem was three-point shooting. The Terps went a horrendous 2 of 24 on threes. Yeah, 2 of 24 on threes. 2 of 16 on threes in the first half. oh of 8 on threes in the second half. So think about that. The Terps won the second half 36-22, despite not making a single three. Uh, that actually says a lot of good things about the Terps' defense, but uh, the Terps this season are shooting a woeful 31.1%. On threes. Uh the Terps on Sunday did go fifteen of twenty-eight on twos, although most of that was in the second half, during which the Turps went fourteen of twenty on twos. But the Terps finished the game with just nine assists. Versus 12 turnovers. Uh, also, Maryland had just eight offensive rebounds to Tennessee's 21. Although the Terps only lost the battle of second chance points by a 13-9 count. You would have thought that that discrepancy would have been a lot worse. Uh, the only Terp who scored in double figures was point guard Jameer Young. He, in 36 minutes as a starter, went just 1-7 of seven on threes, five of 5-11 on twos, and 5-6 of six on free throws. He finished with 18 points, 7 assists versus 3 turnovers, 4 rebounds and two blocks. But otherwise, not a lot happening for the Terps offensively. Uh, still, the Terps for the season are the number 17 team in the nation for the rankings on KenPalm.com. Uh, the Terps are in the midst of a rough portion of their schedule. And next up for Maryland is another big game, home to number 19, UCLA, Wednesday night, at nine. As for Virginia Tech's game at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York on Sunday, the Hokies won. They improved to 10-1 overall with a 70-65 win over Oklahoma State on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Now, Tech did blow an 11-point early second half lead, but Tech ultimately won and won with defense. The Hokies held Oklahoma State to just 7-24 on threes and generated 17 turnovers. Uh, Tech totaled 11 steals. Justin Mutz, in just 26 minutes as a starter, had six deals. He went two of three on threes, three of five on twos, and one of two on free throws. He finished with 13 points four rebounds and four assists, did commit four turnovers. Uh, the Hokies went 7 of 20 on threes, did go just 15 of 37 on twos. Uh, Sean Padula led the Hokies with 16 points. He, in 39 minutes as a starter, went at 2 of 4 on threes, did go just 4 of 12 on twos, also went 2 of 3 on free throws, also finished with five rebounds and four assists. Versus one turnover, and Grant Basili, graduate student transfer from Wright State, he in 28 minutes as a starter went 2 of 5 on threes, did go just 2 of 7 on twos, and just 3 of 5 on free throws, but he finished with 13 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, versus no turnovers and two blocks. The Hokies for the season are 15th in the nation in adjusted offensive efficiency. For KentPalm.com, adjusted offensive efficiency is points scored per 100 possessions adjusted for opponents. So Virginia Tech is looking good. Next up for the Hokies, home to Grambling State this Saturday afternoon at four. Also over the weekend, uh, Georgetown. Uh, it fell to 5-6 and six overall with an 83-64 loss at Syracuse on Saturday afternoon. Yes, Georgetown, Syracuse, the rivalry renewed. And the Hoyas ended up losing by 19 points. And this loss guaranteed that the Hoyas would go more than a year between wins over power conference teams. The Hoyas' last win over a power conference team now was more than a year ago. And the win was a 79-75 win over Syracuse at Capital One Arena on December 11th 2021. Uh, the Hoyas, prior to that game, Uh, Named their home floor at Capital One Arena as John Thompson Jr. Court in honor of, of course, uh, legendary former Georgetown head coach John Thompson Jr., who passed away uh, in August 2020 at the age of 78. What must Coach Thompson be thinking about his program right now. Uh, now, the Hoyas did begin their loss at Syracuse on Saturday afternoon on fire. Uh, they began the game on a 17-6 run, but they then lost the rest of the game 77-47. Uh, the Hoyas held Syracuse to just 3-14 on threes, but allowed the Cues to go 27-46 on twos and got outscored in the paint 46-22. The Hoyas got more than doubled up in terms of paint points, and a big reason for that, Syracuse's six eleven center Jesse Edwards. Uh, he is from the Netherlands. He in thirty two minutes as a starter, went ten of fourteen from the field, all twos, and finished with twenty points, eleven rebounds, including three offensive boards, five blocks, and three assists versus one turnover. Uh, the Hoyas went to six to twenty five on threes and just sixteen to thirty four odd and twos. Uh, the Hoyas had trouble with the infamous zone defense of Syracuse. The Hoyas committed 15 turnovers to the Orange's nine, finished with just nine points off turnovers to the Orange's 24. Uh, Duquesne transfer Primo Spears led the Hoyas with 22 points He in 39 minutes as a starter, went just one of six on threes, but also five of eight on twos and nine of nine on free throws. Uh, Spears also finished with five assists versus three turnovers and three rebounds, including two offensive boards. Next up for Georgetown, home to Xavier, this Friday evening at 630. Well, the Wizards have a game on Monday night, home to the Brooklyn Nets at 7. The Wizards are reeling right now. They have lost six consecutive games and nine of ten games. Two more losses over the weekend. Friday night, a 121-111 loss at the Indiana Pacers as the Wizards fell to just 3-10 and on the road. And then Saturday night, a 114-107 loss to the Los Angeles Clippers at Capital One Arena as the Wizards fell to 11-16. Overall, uh, the game marked the first game for John Wall in front of fans at Capital One Arena since the Wizards uh, traded him to the Houston Rockets in December 2020. Uh, Wall was given a tribute video, uh, was given a standing ovation. He played for 29 minutes, two seconds as a starter, went 0-4 on threes, 5-9 on twos, and 3-4 on free throws. He finished with 13 points three assists versus two turnovers and two steals. Look, good for John for getting the video and the ovation. I had no problem with those things. I mean, the truth is that John Wall has a very mixed legacy with the Wizards, but the guy did do a lot of good things and there's nothing wrong uh, with acknowledging those things. But yeah, the bigger item for me as a Wizards fan is where this team is at right now and where this team is at right now is a not very good place. The Wizards are finding ways to lose games. Uh, Friday night, the Wizards led in the third quarter at 76-70, but that allowed the Pacers to end the game on a 51-35 run. In fact, the Wizards trailed the entire fourth quarter. And then Saturday night, the Wizards blew a 13-point third-quarter lead. Uh, They, in the third quarter, led by 13 points at 84-71, but that allowed the Clippers to win the rest of the game 43 23. Uh, The Wizards defense on Friday night was terrible. Uh, The Wizards allowed the Pacers to score 121 points and go 18 of 41 on threes and 25 of 44 on twos. The Wizards got carved up by Pacers point guard Tyrese Halliburton. And, you know, he is a really good player, but still, Halliburton on Friday night in just 32 minutes 11 seconds as a starter, 3 of 4 on threes, 6 of 10 on twos, 2 of 2 on free throws. He finished with 23 points and 11 assists versus 1 turnover. Uh, the Wizards defense on Saturday night was better, but they still allowed the Clippers to go 19 of 48 on threes. The Wizards' three-point defense this season has been a big problem. Uh this was Wizards head coach Wes Unseld Jr. during his post-game press conference on Saturday night on uh, the Wizards' three-point defense.
3: Well, a lot of them, I think, are just uh, a little hesitant to close, to touch. You know, we're there, but we're not. And I think it's some of that's a little concern about inability to guard one-on-one. So you cushion guys, but we got to get out of our comfort zone and get there. And, and guys are just shooting, you know, you're there, uh, but you're not putting them in under any duress. So they're just lining it up and, and shooting it.
2: Yeah. Now, you do have to acknowledge this. Uh, the Wizards have been slammed by injury recently. Uh, Bradley Beal has missed each of the team's last three games due to a right hamstring strain that he suffered in the 131-19 loss to the Los Angeles Lakers at Capital One Arena now two Sunday evenings ago, December 4th. Uh, Monte Morris did not play in the loss to the Clippers at Capital One Arena on Saturday night due to left groin soreness. Will Barton, has missed each of the Wizards' last two games due to left foot soreness. Rui Hachimura has missed each of the Wizards' last 11 games due to right ankle soreness. And DeLon Wright has been out since suffering a grade 2 right hamstring strain in a 120-99 win over the Detroit Pistons at Capital One Arena. On October 25th. So, a lot of key guys have been out for the Wizards recently. The Clippers on Saturday night were without Reggie Jackson due to rest and Norm Powell due to a left groin strain. But still, the Wizards have been very undermanned lately, and the Wizards have not been doing a good enough job defensively or offensively. Uh, Saturday night, the Wizards did go 16 of 34 on threes, but went just to 21 of 51 on twos. Uh, the biggest bright spot for the Wizards over the weekend was Jordan Goodwin. Uh boy has this guy been a pleasant surprise for the Wizards this season. Goodwin was a force over the weekend. Uh he on Friday night in thirty three minutes forty nine seconds off the bench went three of five on threes, three of five on twos, and four of four on free throws, finished with nineteen points, five steals, four rebounds, including two offensive boards, and three assists versus two turnovers. And then Goodwin on Saturday night in thirty eight minutes two seconds as a starter, two of five on threes four of eight on twos, three of four on free throws. He finished with 17 points, six steals, six assists versus one turnover and four rebounds, including two offensive boards. But Goodwin on Friday night, five steals. Goodwin on Saturday night, six steals. He became the first Wizards player to have at least five steals in each of two consecutive regular season games since Larry Hughes in January 2005. It had been nearly 18 years since a Wizards player did what Jordan Goodwin did over the weekend. Uh, Also, some good stuff from Kyle Kuzma and Chris Daps Porzingis over the weekend. Kuzma on Friday night, 35 minutes, 37 seconds as a starter. Four nine on threes, five of 11 on twos, and five of six on free throws. He finished with 27 points, seven rebounds, and seven assists versus three turnovers. And Kuzma on Saturday night, 38 minutes, 13 seconds as a starter, 7 of 11 on threes, 7 of 16 on Tuesday, finished with 35 points, 12 rebounds, and three assists, did commit six turnovers. And then Chris Porzingis, so he for Friday night actually was questionable for the game due to a spread left ankle, but he played and he largely played well. 34 minutes, 39 seconds as a starter, one of two on threes, 10 of 11 on two, six of eight on free throws, finished with 29 points, nine rebounds, two blocks, and two assists, did commit four turnovers. And Porzingis on Saturday night, 37 minutes, 21 seconds as a starter. He went to 6 of 16 on twos, but also 2 of 4 on threes and 12 of 13 on free throws. Finished with 30 points, 15 rebounds, 5 assists versus 3 turnovers, and 2 blocks. Although Porzingis, by his own admission, uh, screwed up and not rotating soon enough on what ended up being a tie breaking and wide open. Nicholas Batum, 27 foot 3, from the right wing with 23.8 seconds left in the fourth quarter for a 110-107 Clippers lead. Yeah, the Wizards right now are like doing just enough to lose games. Uh, The team is just one and nine since a 10-7 start. And by the way, after this home game against the Nets on Monday night, comes a season-long six-game road trip with all of the games happening out west All right, one more item before we call it a show. The Nationals on Saturday night officially announced having agreed with free agent pitcher Trevor Williams on a two-year contract. Uh, the news of the Nats getting Williams broke on Friday. The contract is a two-year deal, reportedly worth thirteen million dollars. Uh so Trevor Williams becomes the second significant free agent who the Nats have acquired this offseason. The first was infielder Jamer Candelario. And uh yes, I do put significant in quotation marks. Uh but yeah, like the Candelario acquisition, this Trevor Williams acquisition makes sense from a Nats perspective. As I have said, the Nats in their rebuild right now need to have players on the major league roster who fit into one of two categories, potential building blocks or potential trade chips. Uh, Trevor Williams, like Jamer Candelario, is a potential trade ship. Uh, The 2023 season will be Williams' age 31 season. This is a guy who had a good 2022 season for the New York Mets. Uh, Williams in the 2022 regular season for the Mets totaled 89 and two-thirds innings over 30 games, including nine starts. He, over those 89 and two-thirds innings, had an ERA of 321, an ERA plus of 120, a fielding independent pitching of 388, and a strikeouts for nine innings of 8.4, and Trevor Williams is versatile. Uh, He can be used as both a starter and a reliever. Uh, Williams has pitched for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Chicago Cubs, and New York Mets over seven major league seasons, 2016 through 2022. He, over these seven regular seasons, has made 118 starts and 41 relief appearances. So, this is not a guy who's like sensitive about (laughs) whether he's a starter or a reliever. He is a pitcher. His job is to get outs. And This is the direction in which Major League Baseball is going. The line between starters and relievers is being blurred big time. And especially for a pitching-starved team like the Nats, there really does need to be an openness to breaking away from tradition. You know, to not being fixated on the traditional setup of five starters and then X amount of relievers and to getting creative with how pitchers are deployed. And the Nats now do have some pitchers who can be used as both starters and relievers. You think about Trevor Williams. You think about Paolo Espino. uh, You think about the Nats Rule 5 draft pick. From last Wednesday, Thad Ward, you think about maybe even Mason Thompson, who, yes, has been a reliever, but who also has been talked about as becoming more of a long man and maybe even a starter slash reliever. The Nats for the 2022 regular season ranked dead last in the majors in starting pitching ERA at 597. Okay, I mean, that is brutal. The hope for the 2023 season is is that young starting pitchers like Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore and Cade Cavalli will pitch well at the major league level. But even if all three of those guys do do well, and that's a gigantic if, you need a lot more than those guys. And someone like Trevor Williams can help and then perhaps be traded to add to the Nats inventory of prospects. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Algaldi. You can email me the Al Galdi Podcast at Yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 462, will include a lot more on the Commanders. Also, I'll talk Wizards, so the Wizards are home to the Brooklyn Nets Monday night at seven. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday.
1: Now we're up in the big leagues!